Evening, everybody. How you all doing? Good, good. Right, so, um, well done, Mary. That was fantastic. Wasn't that really exciting to see Mary um, talk about what Jesus has done in her life, how he has impacted her, how he's brought her into fellowship with him, a new life with him, a wonderful community. And I'd like to talk a wee bit more this evening about baptism and what that means. And I'm going to give you an opportunity at the end to respond to what I'm saying. If you're not a Christian, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond to the gospel. And if you are a Christian, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond and ask for more of the Holy Spirit. So that's where we're going. Now, I'm going to start off with a story, but this is going to be a bit of a different story with some audience participation. Ooh. Are you excited? Yes. Great. I'm excited. So I want you, in your mind's eye, to imagine that you are a peasant easier for some than others, I think. So, and you're living in ancient Judea. This is in Israel, and it is around 30 AD, so a wee while ago. So, you've got a job. What's your job? I need someone to give me a job. Being a peasant. I think there's probably more to it than that. <laughs> potato farming. I don't, actually, potatoes are from South America, so um, they weren't around by then. <laughs> Nice try. Let's try again. So, <laughs> any other suggestions of a job? Graphic designer. Okay. I think you guys might be struggling with the concept of this a little bit. So, we'll try once more. Work in a vineyard. Thank you. Woo! So, you are at work in a vineyard, and you are there, and you're toiling away. It's been a hard day. You've been tending the vines. You've been cutting the grapes off. It's harvest time. And it's a really busy time of year. You've been working from really early in the morning, working like this for, for ages, and you're just absolutely exhausted. So you get to the end, and you're walking back. So you're walking back to your house, and you meet your friend. Who's your friend? Give it a name. John. John. Good name. Thank you. So you, meet, <laughs> so you meet your friend, John. So you're walking along, and then you just start chatting. Now, this is actually going to be slightly confusing because I'm talking about John from the Bible. <laughs> so maybe we'll go for a different name. Sorry, Esme, that's two ideas I've shot down. Both, both really good ideas. Well done. Um, can we have another name? Benjamin. Benjamin. Thank you. So you meet your friend Benjamin. So you're walking along and you're just chatting. You're like, oh, hey, Benjamin, how you doing? And um, he's like, oh, yeah, fine. Busy, eh? And you're like, oh, yeah, really busy. So and then Benjamin says, hey, have you heard about this guy out in the desert. And you're like, no, I've not heard, not heard anything about this guy. And he says, yeah, it's this guy, John. <laughs> um, and you're like, oh, no, I don't really know much about this guy. Tell me, tell me more about him. He says, well, it's really, really strange. He's, he's out there and everyone's talking about him. I'm quite surprised you haven't heard about him. He, he's out there and he's just, he's just a bit of a strange guy. He, he's out and he's wearing this, these clothes and they're made out of camel's hair. It must be really itchy. And... He has this leather belt, which is trying to like, make people think that he's like an Old Testament prophet from many hundreds of years ago. And also, he eats locusts. Now, you hear this, people talking about this in the Bible, that, oh, yeah, they eat locusts. When you actually think about it, locusts are absolutely minging, aren't they? Like, my granddad, my, my family are a bit weird, but my granddad, when I was growing up, had a preserved specimen of a locust up on the wall. And if I was naughty, I could, part of my thing was like, just, I'm going to get you with this locust. So it is, it's really weird. So actually to think about eating that is really odd. Anyway, so, yeah, so this guy, John, he eats locusts and, and wild honey. But 
he's out there, and, and there's this real buzz about him, and he's calling people back to God. And then you're thinking, well, surely, surely we, we're already with God. We're God's people. And I go to synagogue, and the people there tell me, as long as you're doing this and that and keeping all these laws, then you're okay. But, but he's saying I have to go back and respond to God and give, my, give myself to God in this different way. This is really, really bizarre. And he's like, yeah, you know, we should maybe try and find out more about it. Benjamin, do you want, do you want to come with me and we can go and see him? I'm, I'm off soon. The harvest will be finished. Why don't we go out and see what he's up to? So Benjamin says, yeah, that, that sounds like a great idea. So off you go, you and Benjamin traveling out. And you go out to the desert. And when you're out there, there's huge crowds of people. Everyone has turned out to see what this guy John is doing. And you're looking around and, you know, the kind of buzz of a festival and everyone's excited, everyone's looking and everyone's straining to see what this guy is doing. And he's out there and he's telling people that they need to turn back to God. They, they says that you're far away from God. Even though you're doing all these things, even though you're keeping all these rules, all these laws, you are far away from God. Your heart is far away from God. And as you're listening, you kind of know he's right you're keeping these laws, you're doing all these things, but you know in your heart that, that there's something not quite right. And so you're listening, and suddenly you see John, and his expression changes. And out of this huge crowd of people, he points to somebody, this guy over there, and he says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one I was talking about when I said, a man is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. I did not recognize him as the Messiah, but I have been baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. And suddenly the silence, Messiah? Messiah? Your mind goes back as a small child on your mother's knee, and she was telling you about this Messiah, someone who'd been promised way back, hundreds of years ago, and he was going to come, and he was going to rescue people. He was going to save people. And the whole country has been waiting on tenderhooks. And suddenly, John has said, the Messiah is here. And John explained then why he does these baptisms, why he baptizes. He says... He did it that he, the Messiah, might be revealed to Israel. John was calling people to put their trust in God again, but they needed somebody. The law was not enough. These rules were not enough. They needed someone to save them. John was baptizing to show people that the Messiah is glorious, to show people that the Messiah will save his people. And John wanted others to see him too. And so let's look at this phrase. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There's a really wonderful story I've heard about an old preacher called Charles Spurgeon in London in the 1800s. And he was given a new um, building to preach in. They were building it. And they said, look, we want to test out the acoustics. Can you just go up and and say something? We'll hear and see, see if we can hear. So he goes up to the pulpit and obviously he's using an older version of the Bible, and he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. At that moment, a man was in the roof and was fixing the roof, and he heard this, and it pierced him to his heart. In that moment, he put his trust in Jesus. And I, this is such a key verse, this verse which says so much about who Jesus is and why he came. 
It goes back to the Old Testament. And the Old Testament is a, is a series of books written over many, well over a thousand years, and particularly to a book in the Old Testament called Leviticus. Leviticus is a wonderful book. It can be a bit difficult to understand, but there's so much in it and so much richness and tells us so much about God and who he is. And in Leviticus, God says there's a real problem. You see, I am perfect. I'm, I'm not perfect, just in case you're wondering. But God, this is God speaking. God says, I am perfect. My ways are completely perfect. My rules are completely perfect. Everything I do is perfect. I'm holy. But people, there's a problem. You're not holy. You're tainted. Even when you try and do good, there's badness mingled in with it. Even when you try and do what's right, there's something in your heart. Actually, the Bible calls this sin. And it says that actually within us, there's something which rebels against God, against his, his way of living, against his rules for life. And that separates us from God. God is holy, he's righteous, he's perfect. We, when we look within us, see that we're really not. And so God said there's a problem, but I love you and I want to connect with you. And so he made a way for them to do that. And this was through the sacrifice of animals. Now, there was a, a special ceremony that took place which allowed people to put, put their trust in a lamb and that lamb would take their sin. So what would happen is people would say, okay, I've sinned, I need to do something to deal with this sin. And so they would take a lamb, one year old, perfect, without blemish, and then they would put their hand on it and then they would confess their sin. So say you'd stolen something, you'd take the lamb, you'd put your hand on it, and you'd say, I, I stole this thing. Then the priest would take the lamb and would sacrifice the lamb and kill it. And actually, what that was saying was that our sins, even though they might not seem that bad to us, are deserving of death. But God made a way for this death to be taken by somebody else, an innocent creature, and so that people could be free and then could have a relationship with God. Sin is so serious because it separates us from God. It says in the Bible that the wages of sin is death. It might seem strange when we think about this, to think about this sin, these things being taken so seriously, but we do understand restitution. When we see sin, we want it to be made right. When we see banks cheating people and taking their money and lying and, and stealing it, we're like, no, that's not right. You should be giving that money back. That's really bad. When we see criminals who've committed crimes, we say, actually, that's not right. That something needs to be done. If you break something, it's kind of understood that you should replace it. We understand this idea. The thing is, your sin is worse than you think. We can think that it's not too bad. When we look at ourselves, we can think, actually... I don't think I've done anything that bad. The message of the Bible is that our sins will eventually result in spiritual death. We can't undo our sin by being good, despite what people try and do. I speak to people who tell me that they're so desperate to do the right thing, to be the right person, to be inclusive, to be loving, to do, to do all these good things, and yet it's not enough. The Bible says it will never be enough. Instead, we can rely on Jesus' sacrifice. 
Again, it says in the Bible in 1 Peter, you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors, and it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which loses their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. There's no forgiveness without Jesus' sacrifice. As I'm sure you know, later in the story, Jesus suffers on the cross and he dies. There's a sense that when we become a Christian and we put our trust in him, we die too. The Bible talks about this old person and a new person. The old person dies when you turn to Jesus. And this is what's symbolized in baptism. The old person no longer lives. These old core desires of sin are gone. The person who committed these sins is now in God's eyes dead and cannot be punished anymore. The punishment has gone on Jesus. And this is what we see. So when Mary was put down like this, she was actually taking part in this ceremony and this, this, which has been going on for thousands of years and there's deep symbolism. And as she went down, this symbolizes her death. In God's eyes, she's died. And then she lies in the ground, identifying with Jesus' death. But there's more. So let's go back to the river. John has just called out about Jesus. And then you see, you're straining, and you see that they go and talk to each other. And then they seem to be talking, and they have a conversation. And then Jesus gets baptized. Later, you manage to overhear a conversation and someone says to John, what happened? What, what happened when you saw that? It's almost like if you've seen those programs behind the music where suddenly they go and they speak to the band members and they say, oh, exactly what happened and what happened when you guys were fighting. It's kind of like that. They're like, okay, well, tell me exactly what happened, John. Tell me what you were thinking. And he said, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and resting upon him. I didn't know he was the one, but when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me, the one on whom you see the Spirit descend and rest is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I saw this happen to Jesus, so I testify that he is the chosen one of God. So John didn't actually realize that Jesus was the promised Messiah until this moment. God had revealed to him that he would see the Messiah and that he would identify him by having this vision of the Holy Spirit coming down from heaven and resting on Jesus in the form of a dove. In older times, people, people experienced the Spirit, but it didn't remain with them. They were enabled to do great works for God, but for a short period and for short times. But it was a temporary thing. With Jesus, the Spirit remained with him. This has been prophesied hundreds of years before by a man called Isaiah. He said, The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Jesus lived a life that was characterized by the power of the Spirit. He, he, he lived a life in the Spirit. He saw people healed. He spoke boldly, telling people God's thoughts. He knew things he couldn't have known except by revelation. Far surpassing anything can produce. He had this love for people. And we heard Mary talking about this as well. When she talks about this community that she's joined, when she experiences the love of other people for her, and then as Chris talked about the love that she gives to other people, this is life in the Spirit. 
And this is what we're trying to build as a church. We're trying to build a community of people empowered by the Spirit to love each other, to serve each other, but also to expand and bring other people in, telling more and more people about Jesus and the wonderful new life that you can have in him. In Jesus, the Spirit's life was incredibly strong. In fact, it was so strong that it meant that even after Jesus died, death could no longer have hold on him. The power of the Spirit raised Jesus up to a new life. So again, this is symbolized in baptism. From below the water, Mary was lifted up. The old person is dead, and now there's a new person living. They're not living by their own power anymore, but are offered the chance to live a life empowered by the Spirit of God. Her sin's dealt with. Mary's sin is gone. She's living under grace. Her sin, past, present, future, is gone. It's dealt with. And now she's been called to live a new life of service to God, following his commands and empowered by the Spirit to live these out and experiencing great joy in doing this. It says in Romans 8, 11, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. The same, the Spirit raised Jesus from the dead, that same Spirit lives within you. Let's just think about that for a minute. If you're a Christian here this evening, that same Spirit who empowered the resurrection of Jesus is living inside you right now. You have the same power to serve other people. Just think about that. Do you sometimes wonder what it would be like if Jesus went to your work? What would he do? What would he say to people? You can do that. You have this Holy Spirit living within you. Do you sometimes wonder what it would be like to have Jesus in the room and say, well, what, what does God think about this? Well, actually, you've got the Holy Spirit living within you. You can ask and you can tell. You can tell other people what God is saying. You can bring God's power into hopeless situations. Without Jesus, we have no hope. We have sinned, we're separated from God, but through Jesus, we have hope. Jesus died in our place to take our punishment, as we see when the person goes under the water. Underwater, it symbolizes the death we die in Christ, saying goodbye to our old life. And as we rise, we identify with Jesus, who rose on the third day. We live through the power of the Spirit to live a new life. And so, there's an invitation for you this evening. If you're a Christian already, just think about the fact that you're completely forgiven. Is there anything that's niggling in your mind? Is there anything that's going around in your head where you just really regret something you did? Something that is eating away at you? It's forgiven. If you've confessed it to God, if you've put your trust in him, it's gone. That was an old person that did that. That's a dead person that did that. And now you're, you're given a new life in the power of the Spirit. You know, sometimes it doesn't quite feel that way. It says as well, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. I say it again, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's interesting to think about how my life was when I became a Christian, but when I wasn't filled with the Spirit. I loved Jesus. I love following him, but I just, I just didn't have that same spark. I didn't have that same 
fire within me that I saw other people had. I started university in 2003, so quite a while ago now, and my friends who were filled with the Spirit, I just remember seeing their passion for God, their love for Him, and eventually I, I was just really blown away by them. They had this power to live that I didn't, I didn't have, and I really wanted it. And so I spent quite a long time praying and asking God, well, can you give me that same power? Can you help me to, to live this way? And eventually I was with, with two friends and one of them said, well, why don't I just, why don't I just pray for you? And so, so he did. And at that moment, I felt this, this rushing come over me. This, it's very hard to, to describe these kind of experiences, but I just felt this power within me. But one of the big things that characterized my, my filling with the Spirit was joy. Beforehand, I'd gone through a lot of things and actually struggled with, with mood for quite a long time. I'd been quite lonely. I'd been anxious. And yet, with the Holy Spirit, he gives you joy. Now, this doesn't mean that you don't have difficult times. It doesn't have t- mean you don't have times when you can feel low, where you can feel anxious. But actually, you have this new life within you, this power. Now, when it says to be filled with the Holy Spirit, it's not a one-time experience. This is something which happens over and over and over again. You come to God and you say, Lord, I, I need you. I need more. Please, will you give me more of your Spirit? And this is what we see when someone's raised up from baptism. They're given this new life, but that, that's not once for all. They need to keep on having, having more, more fillings. And so we're going to do that later on. But if you're not a Christian, there's an invitation for you as well. At the moment, you're separated. You're separated from your Heavenly Father. He loves you so much. He really, really loves you. That feeling you have inside of just not being right, of feeling uneasy, it's because you're separated from your Father. He created you. He knew you in the womb. He knew your name. And He longs to have a relationship with you. But it's only through... Jesus sacrificed that you can have this again. You know in your heart that you've done wrong things, and you know that it's not right. And yet there's complete hope. There is no sin too great that it can, that will completely separate you from God. Through his death, you can say goodbye to your old life completely. And through Jesus' resurrection, you have access to God's power to live a new life and experience great joy.